Good morning, church, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're watching this. A special shout out to all those who are watching live on Facebook. What up? For those who don't know me so well, my name's Ben, one of the members of New Song Family Church, and I've been asked to preach today, or to pre-record for today, the next sermon on our series of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Before I start with that, I'd like to ask my wife Penny to do the Bible reading for today. Thank you, Penny. Hi, everyone. Our Bible reading today is, of course, from Philippians. We're reading from chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. I'll be reading from the New International Version, but feel free to follow along in your own Bibles. This is what Paul writes. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Here's Ben. Thank you, Penny. So when I was growing up, we had a white bull terrier cross called Phantom. Phantom was a good dog. Uh, she had a very even temperament. She was very easy to train. You could train this dog to do anything. She would sit, stay, fetch, lie down. She would only eat when she was told. She would walk at heel. You could even tell her, go to sleep. And she would lie down on her blanket and put her head on a pause and she would close her eyes. She never went on the chairs or the beds in the house. She never begged for food. She rarely barked without permission. She even went to the toilet in only one spot in the yard, so you didn't have to dodge little doggy landmines all over the place. One time, when we were packing stuff in a trailer, we told Phantom, stay, so that she wouldn't get in the way of us moving things. We got in the car, we drove off to our destination, and when we came home a few hours later, we found Phantom still in the same spot we told her, stay. Phantom was a good dog. She did what she was told, even when we weren't there watching. Well, in today's passage, these are Paul's words to the Philippian church. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue. The Philippian church was a good dog. Whether or not Paul was with them, they were obedient. Not to Paul, he was just their teacher. They were obedient to their real master, the Lord their God. I think this passage of Philippians is actually a wonderful and important passage for New Song Family Church to hear during this time of lockdown. Brian and Dana, our spiritual teachers, are absent against their will, just like Paul from the Philippian church. 
And I think they would agree with me that New Song, like the church at Philippi, is a good dog. We are being obedient even more in their absence than we are in their presence. Sibylla and Rico and JP and others have been doing a really great job keeping church going in the midst of the COVID-19 lockdown and in the absence of Brian and Dana. I want you to imagine for a moment how great a relief it is to the Bullingtons to know that even though they are locked out of returning to Namibia for the moment, our church has not fallen into a heap. And that even though our church is facing one of the most uniquely difficult times for churches, not being able to physically meet together, not even for Easter, we as a church are still going strong for the Lord. Let me tell you, it's not always like that. There are churches that really do just fall apart when the minister goes away. Services stop, people don't get cared for, the message of Christ is no longer preached. It's a reason why missionary church planters are always so keen to identify and train up local leaders in a new church. Because eventually all missionaries must leave. And they want to know that without them, the church won't die. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, the prophet Zechariah tells us. And that is a truth that has happened many times in many churches. We all know it's easier to do something the right way when your teacher is with you. As a teacher, you know you've done your job well when your students can do what they've been taught without you around. And nothing makes a teacher more proud than to see their students succeeding in their chosen field using the skills they were taught. Not just to impress the teacher, not just to get good marks, but using the skills themselves to accomplish things in the real world. Paul is that proud teacher. His students, the Philippian Christians, were continuing to be obedient to God Not just when he was with them, but now even more when he is absent. They were growing and maturing into godly men and women who were doing the right thing because they knew it was right and because they wanted to serve God. Paul calls this process of maturing, this changing into someone who does God's will because they want to please God rather than just to follow a set of rules. He calls that working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this saying sometimes confuses people, usually in one of two ways. Firstly, people will ask, so is Paul saying here you're working your own salvation like we're saving ourselves? Isn't salvation from God by grace through faith? Now, this first confusion is very easily dealt with because Paul deals with it himself. It's almost like he saw this coming because in the very next verse, verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So you know what? Yes, during your Christian life, you will change to become more mature. You will have a deeper trust in God. You will become more righteous. Your will and your act, that is your thoughts and your deeds more and more fulfill God's purpose. And we can't argue about that. That's the Christian life. But it's just like the crippled man who was brought to Jesus. 
you remember his friends had to lower him through a hole in the roof. Uh, And Jesus said to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. But the guy's a cripple. It seems harsh to tell him, get up and walk when he can't do that himself. But you see, God was at work in him. Christ has the power to make this man walk, but the man still has to get up and do it. So if we ever say, ah, look at what a good job I'm doing in the Christian life, we've already failed because it is God working in us that is doing that. It's not our own selves. But if we ever say, oh, God's got this, I don't really have to do anything, then we fail because we're not being obedient. The crippled man didn't have to heal himself to obey Christ's command to get up. He just had to trust God and then get up. In the same way, we don't have to save ourselves to be God's people. We just have to trust God for our salvation and allow him to grow us into the people he wants us to be. Now, the second thing people often ask about work out your salvation with fear and trembling is, they say, is Paul saying here that we should be afraid of God? That if we don't be obedient to him, he will punish us and take away our salvation. Isn't that also against salvation by grace? Doesn't that stop God from being a loving God? Now, sometimes we're told when the Bible says fear God, it doesn't mean fear like be terrified of God. It means be in reverent awe of God. And this is fair enough. The term fear God is used about a hundred times in the Bible. And it basically means revere the power and majesty of God. This is a legitimate use of the word fear in English. When I looked up fear in the dictionary, the fourth definition is reverential awe, especially towards God. But when you say fear and trembling... As Paul says here, it's not quite the same. We've all been properly scared. We all know what happens when you're scared. You tremble, you shake. You don't tremble when you're in reverent awe. Now, if you're using the New Living Translation, it translates this as with deep reverence and fear, which really means you should revere God and be scared. They're they're taking the Greek fear and trembling And they're saying fear means reverence and trembling means fear, scared. The fact is the idea of being scared is still there. So the real question we need to ask is this. What is Paul saying we should be scared of? And here's the answer. Paul is not saying we need to be scared of God. What he's saying is as we work out our salvation... As we mature in our Christian life, we should be scared of disappointing God. Imagine if you invited someone really important to your house for tea. Maybe President Geingob, maybe Queen Elizabeth, or maybe your fiancé's parents. Before they get there, you clean up. You make sure you've got clean cups. You make sure you actually have some tea. Uh, You make sure that your best clothes are washed and they're ready to wear. Before these important people arrive, you might well be trembling. Now, are you afraid that they might do something bad to you? 
If it's your fiancé's parents, maybe you are. But President Gaingob or Queen Elizabeth, they don't punish people for forgetting to put sugar in tea. Really, you're afraid because you don't want to disappoint them. Because they are important people, they're important to you. Let me tell you, if you don't care about the Queen, or if you don't care about the President, or if you don't care about your fiancé's parents, then you wouldn't be afraid of what they might think. You would just tell them, come into the dirty house. Sorry, Hage, we're out of tea. Ah, the toilet's in the back, Lizzie. You just go for it. When Paul is telling us, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he's not saying, because if you don't, God will smite you. Seriously, just before this, he was talking about how Jesus made himself nothing and died on a cross for us. God is a loving God. No, what he's saying is, take your salvation seriously. Take it so seriously that you're actually afraid of being a disappointment. Because you should care what God thinks of your life. So let me ask you, do you care what God thinks of your life? Does the thought that some parts of your life are not up to scratch make you tremble in fear, not because of punishment, but because you fear God's disappointment? How seriously do you take maturing in your Christian life? I want to leave that with you to think over, because I also want to remind you that Paul is not just saying this to the Philippian Christians as individuals. He's writing this letter to them as a church. So you may even need to ask yourself this. As a member of the church, both God's people worldwide, but also this specific church, New Song Family Church, as a member of the church, am I contributing to the maturing and growth of this church? Am I taking my role in church life seriously? When our church leaders recommended that we all read the Bible together throughout this year, yes, of course, it was because they knew it would be of individual benefit to each of us. But they also wanted us as a church to be on the same page in terms of our spiritual growth. There's a kind of spiritual growth that we all take a part of together as we read the Bible together that doesn't happen if we're all just reading it separately. Or think of our February prayer and fasting month. We all pray at different times, I hope. But February is when we pray together as a church. The maturing that comes out of doing these things is a maturing of our community, not just of ourselves. Let me tell you, I reflected on this as I was writing this sermon, and I realized I've become lax in my giving to church because we don't have physical church and there's no box for me to put money in. And I had to ask, am I really taking my part in church life seriously? So that was something I had to rectify. Giving money to church is a really great example of community maturing because the money I give to church does not primarily help me. It invests into the community as a whole. Now, maybe it's something different for you. There's something else that you need to think about in terms of your maturing 
as a member of the church. But the key here is that you need to take your part in God's church seriously. God is empowering you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. As long as we're honestly working on maturing, both as individual Christians and as a community of Christ, we will not disappoint God. And that's something that I think New Song Family Church does well. Our church's budget is healthy. We have our Bible reading plan together, our February prayer and fasting month. We have community activities like Sunday school, Bible study groups, YWAP, D groups, even our coffee service at our church. These things are all part of a community and they're well supported by the church community. We're a good dog. So let's keep it up so that as a church, we can continue to mature and grow with fear and trembling. All right, we've made it through two verses so far. Thankfully, the rest of this passage is pretty clear. Uh, As we're on this journey of maturity in our thoughts and our deeds, Paul says we should not grumble about it and we should not argue about it. And I want to be really clear about this. Paul here is not saying that Christians never complain or that Christians never argue. Uh, The Bible is full of people who righteously complain that God's perfect design for the world has been marred by sin or that God's perfect plan sometimes seems slow in coming about. There are people who cry out asking, why are they in such pain and anguish? Why do they face such oppression and injustice when they know that they serve a loving and just God whose plan is to bring all these bad things to an end? There's nothing wrong with wanting God's kingdom to come. Paul is not saying that good Christians never argue. We argue all the time. Uh, Anyone who knows me knows that I argue against false teachers uh, who seek to pervert God's word. I argue against unbelievers who say that there is no God or that God is someone other than who he really is. I argue against laws that are unjust or situations or practices that oppress the weak and the vulnerable. I am an arguing machine for the Lord. But see, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is in fact painting a very clear picture to his readers by the language he uses. He says, don't grumble and argue so that you can be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And now all of us who've been doing our Bible reading plan should at this point go, oh, right. Paul's saying, don't be like Israel in the desert. Because Paul here is literally quoting Deuteronomy chapter 32, which is reminding Israel about when they were in the desert and the Israelites were grumbling against God. They were arguing with God about his plan for them. They weren't saying, Lord, we hate injustice. Please bring it to an end soon. They were saying, why did you bring us into the desert to die? We would have been better in Egypt as slaves than we are here under your plan for us. You've provided us miraculous food and water, but we're bored with it now. God, you have got it wrong. They didn't trust God at all. 
They questioned every step they took in that desert. They put Moses through hell as their leader. God got so fed up with Israel, he threatened to wipe them off the planet and start again with Moses. This is the people that God saved from slavery, but did not take into his promised land. It's a bunch of whingers and moaners who would rather live as oppressed slaves in Egypt than trust in God's plan. That is the generation that died in the desert. Paul is saying here in Philippians 2 that if we trust God and we don't complain about his plan for our salvation, even when it gets hard and we have to make sacrifices, if we don't argue with God about his plan for the world to hear the good news about Christ, then in comparison to Israel, we are pure and blameless. We will shine like stars to the rest of the world. And as Christians, both individually and communally as a church, that is our job, my friends. When Paul says that God is at work in us to will and to act according to his good purpose, this is the good purpose. When we look around and see God has placed us within a warped and crooked generation, this is why he has placed us here, so that we can shine like stars among them as we hold firmly to the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, who is breaking down the walls between people and God. As a church, we should be a shining example of that. We should be a place where people say, wow, those Christians, they really care about knowing God, but they also really care about me knowing God better as well. Have you ever seen a star? Of course, you've all seen stars. Namibia has the third lowest light pollution in the world. Y'all have seen stars. The closest star to Earth we call the sun. And you have all seen the sun. You've seen its light, and you've even felt its warmth on your skin. But the sun is 150 million kilometers away. The next closest star to Earth is a star called Alpha Centauri. That star is 4.3 light years away. That means it's 300,000 times further away than the sun. But you can still see Alpha Centauri in the sky brightly with your naked eye. The stars in the Southern Cross are 228 light years away. That means they're 16 million times further away than the sun. And yet people can still recognize those stars specifically and even use them to navigate. Why am I telling you about stars? Because at the moment, while we're all in lockdown, it can feel like it's impossible for us as a church to be visible as the pure and blameless children of God in this warped and crooked generation. It can feel like if we can't see people face to face, we can't be the good example that God calls us to be. If we can't share the gospel face to face, then we can't do it at all. Well, to that, my friends, I tell you this. The stars are not close by, but you can still see them. They still shine. They are still glorious and beautiful. 
during lockdown, we are not 228 light years away from each other. Although sometimes it might feel like that. We aren't even 150 million kilometers away from each other. People can still see us and hear us. And they can still feel our warmth. We might not be able to do things the way we would like to do them. But we can still do things. Do you think that our church services on a Sunday in the hall at St. George's School are more visible to the world than these virtual services are now? As a matter of fact, I would say internet services are more visible to more people. I would say it's easier for some people to see these services and be involved in them. I would say it's easier to invite some people to these virtual services than it is to invite them to come to our physical services. I know pastoral care at the moment is much more difficult without face-to-face contact. But it's also more important now than ever because people are really struggling now. So we've got to use what we have. Use our phones, make calls, send texts. Deliver food to people, have Zoom meetings, stay connected. We have to make sure also that the people who do this for us full time at our church are funded so they can keep doing it. As a church of God's people seeking to shine his light like stars in this warped and crooked generation, we need to be showing people that we care. We need to be checking up on them. We need to do what we can do, not just moan about what we can't do. This is God's good purpose that he calls us to fulfill. And then, Paul says in Philippians, only then, only when the Philippians are shining like stars among a warped and crooked generation, only when they're holding out the word of life and fulfilling God's good purpose in their thoughts and their deeds, Then Paul will know that his work with the Philippian church was not in vain. Then he will be able to boast before the Lord. And he's not boasting as if he is someone special to have raised up this church, to have trained this good dog. In fact, he says that a good church that faithfully follows God's mission is the real sacrifice. It's the meat sacrifice. And that his work is just the drink offering that gets poured out on top. To God, a faithful missional church is the meat at a braai. The work of the church leader helping the church to become a faithful missional church is just the cool drink at the braai. And this should be the aim of all good church leaders. They don't want to see a church where people just know their Bibles, live good lives, and stay out of trouble. They want to see a church where people take the light of the gospel and shine it all around. They want to see people's lives so transformed by the gospel that it impacts the world. Good church leaders want to see a church that is doing the same mission they themselves are called to. Seeing the gospel spread, seeing the kingdom grow. 
And they don't want that because it makes them look good. Paul actually says, if the Philippian church can become the meat at God's braai, he will rejoice with them in that. And if all he ends up as is the cool drink at the braai, they should still rejoice with him in that. Do you think that while Brian and Dana have been in the United States, they've been boasting to their friends and supporters about how good their leadership is? Do you think Brian stands up in churches over there and he says, you should hear the sermons I preach in Namibia. You should be at the church leadership meetings and see me working. New Song couldn't survive without me. Of course not. That would be like inviting someone to your braai and boasting about how good your cool drink is when the meat is rotten. No, he's over there saying, you should see New Song Family Church. You should see how on fire for God they are. You should see how mature in the faith they are. You should meet the Namibians who are in charge while we're gone. I swear to you that even if Dana and I never get back to Namibia, that church is going to thrive and God's mission is going to be worked out there. That, my friends, is a bry worth boasting about. And I think if I were to ask Brian and Dana, they would say that. They might not appreciate my American accent, but from what I know about New Song, I think there is a lot to boast about. Because God is working in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. New Song Family Church is a good bride before the Lord. And the Bullingtons are happy to be the cool drink. But I think they would also say, as Paul said to the Philippian church, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue. Now, I really hope that the lockdown ends soon. I really hope that Brian and Dana can come back to Namibia soon. But I am so glad to be part of a church that does not fall apart when the leaders are away, even when it's facing trials and difficult circumstances. So let's keep it up, church. Let's continue to shine like stars.